Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, Contrast Church, I might be a little too close here. I'm going to back up a little bit. I am very glad to see you. Uh, today, because the alternative the last day or so has been my bathroom floor, as I have been violently ill with a stomach bug. Uh, and so that me being here says that that's not the case anymore is a huge blessing. Uh, and yeah, it was, it's been a not great weekend. So I am going to sit down today and just relax, and we're going to make this really cozy, because um, I'm probably a little bit still dehydrated. Um, but yeah. So for those that know me, uh, one of the qualities that I think people would describe me as is uh, interested in a lot of different topics. Uh, I can talk to people about just about anything, and I I tend to have a lot of varied interests. In fact, one time I was going to counseling, and and the counselor said, Adam, you're very curious. And so now I I tell people, I'm not anxious, I'm just curious. Uh, It's not my anxiety. But a way to demonstrate this is probably uh, looking at my YouTube history. Most of my friends, their YouTube history probably reads something like OSU football highlights or Post Malone sings country music, one of those. Uh, But mine is a little bit more eccentric. So I figured I would read a couple of the titles of recent YouTube videos that I've watched. And I have watched them uh, so that you can get a picture of what this looks like. So, we're going to rattle through this list. You ready? All right. Boeing 737 nearly fails to take off. (laughs) Reviving an almost dead tree. Rapid cabin depressurization. There's There's an aerospace thing, in case you're wondering what that looks like if you're ever in an airplane. Uh, High school musical, but it sounds realistic. Let's work it. That's great. (laughs) Uh, The Victorian way, how to make soup for the poor. Uh, Why do cats act so weird? Good question. Why Hollywood loves this creepy bird call. Uh, Daphne shuts down some nerd. Headed towards a gloomy, spooky house, unaware of the dangers that lurked ahead. Velma, will you stop? (laughs) Yeah, cut it out, Velma. What are you frightened of? It was only a silent movie. Well, if the movie was silent, why can't you be? (laughs) Some nerd, as if, like, (laughs) it's not one of the main characters of the show. Uh, Why staircases could kill you in Edwardian Britain. Yeah, they were were deadly. Uh, Do salt lamps work? The answer... No, they don't. And uh, my personal favorite, what happens if you put your head in a particle accelerator? 
Not good things. <laughs> Clearly, I have a problem uh, with YouTube. I spend too much time on there. These are usually like 1 a.m. watches, too. But one of the topics that I find particularly interesting is space and space-related videos and facts and, and little things that go on. And there's uh, a particularly interesting story to me about the Hubble Space Telescope. I don't know if you're familiar with the Hubble Space Telescope. It was launched in 1990. At the time it was built, uh, NASA had spent about $5 billion building it. So massively expensive. Uh, and they launched the telescope, and the first images that they got back from it were blurry. And they realized that despite all of the money they had spent and all of the engineers that had worked on it, the main mirror that they had installed had a flaw in it, which made the images not sharp. Uh, so it was a huge embarrassment to NASA. This is a picture of the, what the Hubble, uh, Hubble Space Telescope looks like. Huge embarrassment, and they had to figure out a way to fix it. So NASA went to major lengths to fix this mistake that, that they had made, and they actually sent an astronaut team uh, up to repair the main mirror, which is the next picture. Um, so you can see they're doing um, repairs out in orbit uh, on this thing. So again, just a dangerous mission, lots of effort, lots of money spent to fix this broken mirror that prevented the Hubble Space Telescope from seeing what it was supposed to see. And this story actually reminds me a little bit of the passage uh, that we're in today. And so I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to kind of sit in it for a little bit and, and explore it together. So it says, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men began to follow him, shouting, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he went into the house, the blind men came to him. Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you, according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout the entire region. As they were going away, a man who was demon-possessed and unable to speak was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the man who had been mute began to speak. The crowds were amazed and said, Never has anything like this been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, By the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. So just to start, as a, as a broad overview, I think there's a couple of notes to make. This is not the first time that we've seen Jesus heal people of ailments. Uh, and in fact, I don't think Matthew is really all that concerned about writing a historical account of the things that Jesus did. For example, Luke is much more historical than Matthew is. Matthew has a specific agenda that he's trying to teach us about the person of Jesus and the things that he's doing. And so he strategically places these stories where he does and their, their subject matter to give us uh, this better picture of Jesus. And he's concerned about telling his audience about who Jesus is and elevating their view of Jesus, uh, and by extension, then God. And for us, I think we should, with that in mind, approach the, the passage with what is it that uh, Matthew's trying to tell us uh, here in this passage? What is he trying to say about Jesus? And so there's three main things that happen throughout this passage, and I'm just going to put it out there right away. 
the, the main things are there's faith, there's healing, and then there's ridicule. And that's sort of the structure that this little section has. And so let's, let's take a look at it. So as Jesus went on from there, two blind men began to follow him, shouting, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he went into the house, the blind man came to him. Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to their faith. So the first thing that Jesus is doing is he's recognizing and honoring the faith that these men have shown. It says that they are shouting as they're following him. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And Jesus tends to do this a lot where, uh, in fact, I didn't, I didn't look it up. I meant to ask Trey before this because I'm, I'm not the biblical scholar of the group. Um, but I, I don't believe that there's an instance where Jesus heals somebody uh, without them first presenting to him a request for it. Is, would you generally, for the most part, yeah. For the most part, at least that's pretty much the standard, that Jesus doesn't perform miracles for people unless that they've explicitly asked him to, at least in the case of healings. And so these people have come to him, and they've obviously been familiar with who Jesus is, and Jesus has been traveling around, uh, as we've seen in the passages previous to this. And so they probably are hearing that Jesus is coming, and so they're like, hey, we got to get his attention. So they start yelling, and Jesus hears this, but he doesn't just do the miracle right away. In fact, this is another classic Jesus-ism, uh, is that he forces these two blind beggars uh, to reaffirm that they do, in fact, believe that he is capable of doing what he's doing. Uh, and that's the second part of it, is healing. In this passage, not only is it that Jesus is recognizing their faith, and, and, and in fact, he says, uh, your eyes are open according to your faith. He's also getting drawing out of these blind beggars that, yes, you actually believe that I have the ability to do what you're asking me to do. Not that just you're asking it and kind of nebulously hoping that something happens, but that you firmly believe that I, as Jesus, am capable of accomplishing the task that you've asked of me. In this case, making two blind guys see again. And then there's this story about the demon-possessed man. And it's a little interesting because as I, as I was going through this, I was like, man, it's it, it kind of, sometimes the Bible does this thing where it's like, yes, there's two blind men, and then we can talk about the blind guys, but then they throw in this other thing like a de demon-possessed guy, and you're like, okay, well, this kind of throws off like the blind narrative and like the whole healing thing, at least in our modern minds. But to Matthew and his audience, whether an, a physical ailment was seen as something that was biological, like being blind, or something that would have been demonic, like in this case, um, being mute, that wasn't of particular concern. The, the, the overall cause of the ailment. But what Matthew is saying here is that Jesus, in fact, has the ability and the authority to heal any ailment, 
regardless of its cause. And that's something that is unique to Jesus as a person in the ancient Jewish uh, realm because there were people, in fact, Matthew knows this as he's writing to uh, his audience, that there are these charlatans and false teachers that can still somehow do signs and wonders. But Jesus' breadth and ability to tackle uh, the issues that he's facing, whether it be demon possession or it be blindness. In fact, you know, where it says in verse 33, after the demon was cast out, the people were amazed and they said, never has anything like this been seen in Israel before. And so it's just this beautiful picture of Jesus having the ultimate authority over the things that might afflict us. Then the last part, ridicule, comes from the response of the Pharisees. And now it's assumed here, I'm assuming here that the Pharisees haven't seen the healings of the blind men, so they're only responding to the healings of the demonic mute. But they say, by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. So at this point, the Pharisees are seeing what Jesus is doing, and they have no response to it. And what typically happens when an argument is so good that you don't have a logical response to it, you tend to fall back on slander and ridicule, basically name-calling, right? And so that's essentially what the Pharisees are doing. They're saying by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. They're basically calling him a demonic power or Satan, you know, this uh, connecting him to this... Um, satanic power. And it's just so, it's so funny to me sometimes when I see that and I think, how could you watch something like that happen and then your response is to like try to make fun of it or try to like downplay it with ridicule. You know, you just like saw this dude who hasn't spoken, like he can speak now. Like what a great freedom this is. And sometimes I struggle with passages like this. I don't know if this is the case with any of you. I'm sure it is. But sometimes it feels like, oh, yeah, like these people saw Jesus and they asked him for healing and he did it. And it was miraculous. Like these two blind guys. Like blindness is not typically a thing in today's age that we see people being healed of um, out of nowhere without some sort of medical intervention, and then even then, often, blindness is not fixable. And as I think about that, I'm like, what do, we, what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that, like, there are things in, you know, in my own life where I'm like, I want healing for this thing, like Jesus, and I, like, yes, I will pray to you for healing, and I would say that I, like, know who you are and recognize that you have the capability to fix these things, and yet, it doesn't seem like I'm getting the result that I want. And I think like that can cause us to ask questions like, am I not finding healing because I don't have enough faith? And then we start to put our value in, it becomes performative, right? Like, okay, well, I'm not seeing results because I'm not doing enough to earn God's favor. I'm not doing enough to like put myself in right standing with Jesus where he's going to like do these things for me. 
And that's where I think this, this passage is particularly poignant because I don't really think that it's completely about healing or Jesus just being able to like fix people's problems. Uh, although that was, that's certainly a part of it. And, you know, even today, like we pray for healing, we pray for Jesus to intervene in things. But what tells me that it's not just about healing, there's a couple things in this passage. First of all, the blind beggars say, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, what's interesting about what Matthew is doing is that this same incident is recorded in other gospels like Mark. But what Matthew has done is he's actually moved up the point that this story is told in the narrative. And he actually places this before Peter's confession of who Jesus is. It says, have mercy on us, son of David. These two blind beggars are revealing that they understand who Jesus is and what he means before Jesus' own disciples had gotten there. Like the people who are working with him, walking with him, talking with him. Like these blind guys and the mute guy haven't even been able to see or talk with Jesus. And yet they are recognizing who Jesus is before the people who are spending every minute of every day with the guy. Like that's incredible. And it's really powerful that I think Matthew is trying to communicate what that means. The second part is that he warns them, see that no one knows about this. And that's, that always strikes me as kind of strange. Like, wait, this, this like really cool, amazing thing happens. Like, why wouldn't you want to tell people about it? Why are you telling them not to tell people? I think that he doesn't want them to go tell people because Jesus doesn't want to become a drive-by miracle worker. Again, this is why I don't think that what Jesus is doing is simply about miracles and healing people because he's explicitly trying to position himself as not that. What he wants to do is reserve this type of, of miracle and healing to the people who explicitly see him and acknowledge him as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And I think that his concern is, well, as soon as this just gets out there, I'm going to have all sorts of people who care nothing about who I am and just think that I'm going to just hand out healings like it's nobody's business. Now, of course, they, the guys don't listen to him. They go and do it anyway, which uh, was inevitable and I think is still a powerful testament uh, at the time to, to, you know, the person of Jesus and the amazing things he was doing. But Jesus is not concerned with being a miracle worker. He's concerned with capturing hearts and capturing people's intentions. And so I think that the passage, the point of this passage, is seeing Jesus for who he is, the Messiah. And at the end, we realize that the Pharisees actually see it, and they can't let themselves believe it. They go, I'm seeing what Jesus is doing, 
And I'm just going to say that it's by the power of demons, he casts out demons. Like, I'm, we're going to slander him. And Matthew sort of brackets uh, the next, you know, few sections um, through the end of chapter 9 and through chapter 10, sort of around this idea of the Pharisees are now saying, you know, Jesus is some satanic curse man, you know, whatever that means. Um, <clears throat> And so it brings me to feel like, how do I respond when I see things that Jesus has done? Am I capable of believing it, or do I throw it off as ridicule and slander? And one of the big questions that I had after reading this was, why couldn't the disciples and the Pharisees see who Jesus was? Like, what it, don't you think, like, if you were sitting with this dude, you would be like, whoa, something is, something is special about this. Like, why, why did it take so long for people to recognize Jesus as the divine son of God that he was? And that actually brings me back to the Hubble telescope. Full circle. I, uh, when, I, when you think about the Hubble, you go, well, why the Hubble telescope? And by that I mean, why a space telescope? Well, the Earth has an atmosphere that ground-based telescopes get obscured by. And so we can't observe the things in outer space that we want to from the Earth because there's too much light and dust and, again, atmosphere that it, it blocks it. And so we needed the Hubble Space Telescope to get above all of that and to get out away from the light of the earth and the, the moon and be able to turn away from the light of the sun so that we could see things that were previously unseeable. And after the Hubble was fixed, like I said, they went up there and the astronauts did their spacewalk and they fixed the mirror. They started taking pictures uh, of outer space. And I have a couple of them here, I think to show. So these are just a, a, a sample of some of the iconic images that the Hubble Space Telescope has taken. Um, this is a Whirlpool Galaxy. This is the Crab Nebula. I believe this is probably images of a supernova by the looks of it. Even planets in our own solar system, like Saturn. But one of the most iconic images is this one. In fact, Many people would say it's probably the most important image that Hubble has ever taken. This is called the Hubble Deep Field image. And right after, in 1993, right after they had repaired Hubble, the director of the Hubble program, typically the way this works is like people from all over, like if you work at a university or something, or a researcher, you can basically request time to use Hubble. 
and you typically give them a target. Like, I want to look at this star, or I want to look at this like, part of the sky, and they will schedule time, and then you know, position Hubble and, and image this area. Well, not long after this whole debacle with the telescope, the director decided that he wanted to do something really radical, which was not image a specific target, but instead point the Hubble at absolutely nothing. Which, with all of the scrutiny over the use of funds in this thing, they're like, are you sure you want to, are you sure you want to do this? Like, we're not going to see any, you're just kind of wasting our resources here. But they decided, no, it's, it's important. So they picked up a, a spot in the sky over the North Pole, uh, which from all our observations was completely black. It was completely empty. There was nothing notable about this point. And the point that they imaged was uh, the equivalent of if you, if you held a pin out at arm's length, the pin head, if you looked up at the sky, the area of that pinhead at arm's length would be the equivalent of the space of sky that they imaged. It was, I wrote this down because it's incredible, it's one twenty-four millionth of the whole sky. And they got the image back, and this is what they saw. Now, the incredible thing about this is that those are not stars. They are galaxies. And in this image, we have another zoomed-in one so you can see a little bit more. There's a couple stars in there. The ones with the like, cross things are stars. All of the rest, there's about 10,000 galaxies that are imaged in this picture. 10,000 galaxies in one twenty-four millionth of the whole sky. And just to give a little bit of perspective, like it's so big, I can't even put it in. Like there's nothing. There's no like human scale that can like put this in perspective. Uh, in our own galaxy, like we've, I was telling Trey this the other day, like, and this is for whether or not people believe this, but astronomers are doing it. We've been like sending messages out into space to like see if people respond to us. So they send like radio signals out with like descriptions of humans. And they're like, maybe we'll get an answer back. So there's a particularly dense like star cluster in our own galaxy where they figured like, this would probably be a good place to like blast radio waves because if, if there's like planets around these stars, like there's, it's an area where there's likely to like be more things. So like this would be a good place. Well, for the scale of our own galaxy, that cluster of stars is 55,000 light years away. So it's 55,000 years for the radio signals to get there. And then even if there was somebody there to hear it and they answered right away, it would be 55,000 years back in our own galaxy, and we're looking at a picture where there's, it's just absolutely unfathomable. And I think about it, like, this is what got me going about this. Again, this is like the nerdy side of me. As I was thinking about this talk, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is the God that's like in this, in the book. Like the God who like made all of this is the God who walked on earth and had compassion on three guys and like healed them of their ailments, and it's just absolutely incredible. But the question is, why did they point the Hubble Space Telescope at a dark patch? Well, it wasn't just because we figured, like, well, there's nothing there, so we'll just see. 
but it's also because anything else that would have been in the image, like an, a closer star or dust clouds or anything like that, would have blocked us from seeing this. And so to see the magnificence of our own universe, we had to strip away anything that might get in our way. And to me, that is the story of the blind beggars. The blind beggars were able to see Jesus for who he was because they had nothing else to block them. They were completely dependent on Jesus and Jesus alone. They didn't have their sight. They didn't have, and I mean sight metaphorically here now, right? Like they didn't have their sight, meaning all of the stuff that got in their way that was preventing them from seeing it. And I think that that is why Matthew puts these people before Peter, because even Peter himself had his own life going on, despite having daily conversations with Jesus. He had stuff that was blocking his view of Jesus as Messiah. Again, these blind beggars, it was their lack of obscurations that could distract them from the Messiah. So it really makes me think about all of the ways uh, that I have things in my life that end up blocking my view of Jesus. Like, is it my work? Is it the way I view myself in my social standings? Like, am I well-liked? Uh, is it how much money I have? Um, is it even like the self-actualization on the top of the, the pyramid? Like, am I being creative enough? Am I, am I like living up to my potential? I'm not a morning person, and so I don't get up in the morning, and that like I feel really guilty about that a lot of times because you know you always see like the startup bros who are like, oh yeah, I got up at like 3 a.m. today, and I just hit the gym seven times. Uh, but like, are those things like blocking us? And that's why, again, I think that this passage isn't simply about how Jesus can restore sight, but it's also how I think we can all use a little blindness. And so I'm going to close and bring the band up. They can come up. And we're going to have a, a time of reflection like we always do. And as that's going on, there's usually some questions on the screen uh, that, that can, uh, you can think through. But in particular, the question that I want to leave you with today that I want you to think through is how has our sight made us blind to Jesus? Think about the things that are blocking your telescope from seeing the magnificence that exists beyond Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this Sunday, the first snow of the season, love or hate it. Uh, we just thank you so much for your brilliance and your majesty. And I just pray that you would infiltrate our hearts with who you are and show us that your kingdom is here and that we get to be a part of it. And also, God, I pray that you would reveal in us 
the things that are blocking our view of you. And I pray that all of us would begin to have more moments where we say, have mercy on us, son of David. Recognizing who you are. Thank you again for this time. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.